0: This is QD Clinic and I'm Dr. Jack Cush. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live, a next generation medical meeting. Our case this week begins with the reluctant rheumatologist and pegloticase. Saw a 60 year old white male who had a lot of comorbidities and a history of gout. Not surprising, Uh, this patient had hypertension, diabetes, Chronic renal disease was on many different medicines. He had been diagnosed with gout ten years ago. Has had many attacks over the years. A history of sort of incomplete um, control with um, the attacks going from acute and intermittent to chronic and additive. And now he's at the point of having chronic tophaceous gout. Involves the hands, the feet, the elbows, occasionally the knees. Uh, And when we saw him recently, he was on 400 milligrams of allopurinol, his uric acid level was 6.8, and he was still having intermittent attacks and a lot of pain, and a lot of his pain, as you might imagine, is related to inflammatory damage and secondary pain and periarticular pain, but then he seems to have uh, warmth and inflammation in some joints as well. The question is, how do you manage him? He's at the stage of having a chronic inflammatory polyarthritis because of his his urate deposition disease, evidenced by some big, bulky, you know, um, walnut to pear size, not pear size, almost pear size, um, collections of, of tofi, elbows, feet, hands, um, knees. It's, you know, obviously disforming and, um, and hard for him. The issue is, in discussion with the other rheumatologists managing this case, is that there's a reluctance to start this man on peglodicase. Yes, you could step up his allopurinol, and yes, you could be one of the few rheumatologists out there that you know would use a dose higher than 400 or 300, um, but the facts are that rheumatologists aren't as great as we think we are at managing gout. We, just like podiatrists and renal docs and internists, largely only use 300 milligrams a day. We seldom have ever used combination therapy. Um, very few of you have actually used peglodicase, although the numbers of peglodicase use in the last 10 years that has been approved has actually gone steadily up. Um, but many of you have never used it for fear of side effects, anaphylaxis, tales told around the campfire or clinic fire, or whatever. And, um, and I'm here to tell you that I'm not afraid to use it. I've tried to use it a number of times and had problems either with the patient or the insurance or the patient being really sick and thinking they're too sick to get this infusion. Um, and then, um, and I have used it. And it's really, uh, I think, a very effective way. The issue here is the argument that was presented to me by the other rheumatologist in discussion was, well, if we increase his dose up to 600, even up to 800 milligrams, we can start to get him to a hypouricemic state where he can lower his levels enough that he can dissolve some of those uh, TOFI. The problem is, the TOFI are the tip of the iceberg. He has a tremendous total body urate load. When you see TOFI at all, what you're not seeing can be magnified uh, 10 times fold, 100 fold. Um, and if you want to prove it, then do, do, do the dual energy CT scans, the DEX scans that show urate deposits lighting up. Um, the problem with, I think the, the use of this therapy is an overestimation of anaphylaxis. You know, infusion reactions, I think it's like six, 7%. And very few of those, you know, less than one in 10 of those actually meet the NIH definition for anaphylaxis. So while it in reactions do occur, The main reaction is because you're mobilizing all this urate, you get more gout attacks and patients feel sick. So the drug was approved 10 years ago, done in studies where you give eight milligrams every uh, two weeks or every four weeks. The response rates are basically 40 to 50% of patients. There's a dramatic lowering of serum uric acid levels from whatever they were down to undetectable on this drug. The real issue is whether or not you um, can the problem of anti-drug antibodies and their anti-PEG antibodies, which can get in the way in the long-term success, could contribute to some of the toxicity. Uh, And I think that the trend right now is uh, to use a background of either methotrexate azathioprine or mycophenolate. There's a study going on right now with mycophenolate being done at UAB by Ken Sag. Uh, I've used azathioprine. We have a recent report in room now about the use, uh, a published report about the use of methotrexate and people going on this. Why would they use these DMARD drugs? Not to treat the chronic synovitis, but to suppress the development of an anti-drug, anti-peg antibody that can get in the way of, ta- uh, of long-term success. Patients need to be infused. It's not a slow infusion. It's a fairly easy infusion though. They get premedicated with antihistamines and solumedrol more so than hydrocortisone. It's done every two weeks. You have to get a uric acid level prior to the next uh, infusion because you wanna see uric acid levels declining, going down and staying down. But then if the uric acid starts coming back up, well, that's basically anti-PEG antibodies getting in the way. And now you're gonna have a rise in uric acid And that means, oops, we shouldn't use the drug. You can prevent that anti-drug antibodies, anti-peg antibodies by using, again, azathioprine, methotrexate, probably mycophenolate, uh, and patients will have long-term success. How long do you go? As long as it takes to make them disease-free and to um, uh, reduce their total body urate load, which adds to their risk of renal toxicity, cardiovascular toxicity, et cetera. I'm fairly liberal with use of steroids when we're starting out therapy because infusion reactions are very common, and uh, patients should either be on a low dose of steroids or be very quick to use 20 milligrams of steroids at the first hint of a gout flare. Again, rheumatologists, the experts in all tough diseases, are somewhat reluctant to use uh, peglodicase, and I don't think that's really necessary. Look for your next patient. I wanna tell you about Room Now Live and a session I'm going to be in that's gonna be on Saturday. It's the second step session on um, rheumatoid arthritis. In my session, uh, we have the opening lecture being done by Bruce Kronstein from NYU, famous for his work in adenosine. Bruce is gonna talk about the mechanisms involved in the efficacy and benefits and toxicities of methotrexate, should be a fabulous lecture. Uh, Alvin Wells is going to be talking about updates in imaging and new guidelines for imaging in rheumatoid arthritis, including ultrasound. And then I'll be talking about the differences in seronegative and seropositive and telling you things you didn't know about seronegative RA that will scare you to death. RoomNow Live, you can still register at RoomNow.Live. Talk to you tomorrow. This is QD Clinic, and I'm Dr. Jack Cush of RoomNow. QD Clinic is brought to you by RoomNow.Live. Keen minds need great meetings like this, RoomNow.live. Today's case, seronegative room, rheumatoid arthritis. A 45-year-old woman presents with a six-month history of polyarthralgias, morning stiffness, and said to have some abnormal labs. On exam, she has 12 tender joints, symmetric polyarthritis, five of them are swollen, two-plus-so, even warm, and she's unable to close her hands. She has a CDI score of 25. We put her on 10 milligrams of prednisone and hydroxychloroquine, we get labs. Labs come back somewhat disappointing. Um, normal sed rate, uh, sorry, CRP was elevated. Sed rate was not. CRP was like 12 milligrams per liter. ASO, ACE levels, um other labs, ANA, rheumatoid factors, CCP, 1433, ADA, all negative. Um, upon further questioning, she has had a carpal tunnel in the past. Um, she has not responded to the therapies we gave her. She comes in a month later, and she's doing really poor. The only thing we did find on lab tests besides a somewhat elevated CRP was that she had marginal elevations of LFTs. She herself is a little overweight. Um, someone told her she's had LFTs in the past. Fatty liver, I don't know. But nonetheless, the question is, what does this gal have? She has a seronegative, but nonetheless, polyarthritis, not responding to uh, conventional medicines at four or six weeks. Uh, and so what do we do? We, well. We put her on etanercept in addition to the hydroxychloroquine and 10 to 15 milligrams of prednisone we manage her pain with qhs analgesics uh, and we labeled her a seronegative r a the question is is that the right label um, and i think it's a label that's the right one for now um, you bear that label when you meet the criteria for rheumatoid arthritis and she does having both small and large joints Um, by having an acute phase reactant, having uh, synovitis for a long enough period of time. Obviously, you get there a lot faster. As far as criteria, if you have a CCP antibody and a rheumatoid factor, she does not. Um, I think the designation of seronegative RA is important. To have that diagnosis, you actually have to have a lot of features of RA and still be seronegative to qualify as having RA, too. it's borne out over time. So chronicity sort of verifies and solidifies the diagnosis. However, there is no proof that over time that you're safer in that diagnosis. In fact, over time, a significant minority of these patients will evolve into another well-identified syndrome, Whipple's disease, or IBD, or psoriatic arthritis, or Lord knows what. Um, What we do know is that chronicity of swelling and pain, meaning more than 12 weeks of swelling and pain, makes you likely to have an inflammatory arthritis. Um, You're never fully going to be called rheumatoid for certain while you're seronegative. And I think the point that I wanna stress is that being seronegative is your opportunity to rethink the diagnosis at every visit. I'm a little concerned about this particular patient's LFT elevations. So we are ordering things like an ANCA and anti-mitochondrial antibodies, anti-smooth muscle antibodies, um, and and getting a liver consult for them to look at her. Because if she has persistent liver enzyme elevations, they ma- may want to do more than just ultrasound to see the size of her liver and whether it's echogenic and has signs of steatosis. So um, again, seronegative is a big challenge because... Uh, you never quite know, and will she respond? Well, she didn't respond to plaquenil and prednisone, in pretty high dose. We'll see if she responds to etanercept, and then over time, um, non-response further questions the diagnosis of seronegative RA. That's it for this edition of QD Video. Tune in tomorrow. This is QD Clinic. I'm Dr. Jack Kush from Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live. Great rheumatologists like you go to great meetings like this. QD Clinic is coming to you from RWCS in Maui where we discussed some cases yesterday. I'm gonna give you one of them. 2019 October, a patient goes in for a hip replacement. You, the rheumatologist, get a letter from the orthopedist saying, guess what? The gentleman was treated with a a spinal block and IV sedation. He had physical therapy immediately post-operatively. He was sent home the same day on analgesic medicines and meds to de- to prevent deep vein thrombosis that's right same day outpatient hip replacement we've heard about this at our meeting here several times just heard a great lecture from dr william bugby uh, a great orthopedist from ucsd in san diego um, where this has become commonplace he says outpatient surgery is being driven by number one medicare two economics and three entrepreneurialism it's also being driven by new techniques new anesthesia um, and i think the idea that you can do a lot better a lot faster Uh, there's also some recent guidelines that are published in the cmaj the canadian medical journal about who basically shouldn't get these out same day outpatient procedures largely being done on hips often being done on knees. Who shouldn't get them? Uh, Individuals over the age of 80, uh, those with a bleeding disorder, those who have chronic renal disease, uh, greater than stage two CKD, those with liver disease, those who have sleep apnea that's severe, those who had recent cardiac events, diabetics, and those who are overly uh, obese, morbidly obese. These are all non-candidates for same-day outpatient surgery. Otherwise, Patients who are otherwise mentally able to consent and adapt and who have the support system in place for transportation and home care can go home the same day they have their hip or knee replacement. Things are changing in rheumatology. That's it for Cutie Clinic. Tune in tomorrow for another. I'm Jack Cush.